I'm Kieran Valley. And I'm Kate Valley. And this is Friday Night at Blockbuster, the podcast where we talk about the biggest, most popular, our favorite movies of the 2000s. Although this week, I think that might be a stretch to say. Normally, I guess we have a preamble. I'm going to say up front this week because it's the 20th episode of this podcast. I have sort of challenged you with coming up with a few answers to questions relating to the podcast. And so uh, you said you wanted to maybe include this week's movie as potentially one of your answers or, or have the ability to include it. Yeah. And so this week we're going back to July 12th, 2002 to talk about the Royal Tenenbaums. But before we get into the movie, you down to answer some questions? Yeah. Let's okay. go for it. So the first question... Do I get to pose them back to you? Do you have answers to your own questions or no? Is this only for me? Uh, you can. I haven't sort of okay. looked into it as maybe as much as you have. But yeah, sure, you can. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, like some of these questions, my options will be a lot more limited than your options will okay. be. But yeah, we'll, we'll figure it okay. out. <laughs> so first question, I just want to know what's been the biggest happy surprise that you've had? Like the movie that... You know, I said, we're doing an episode on this movie. You had never seen it before. And then you sat down to watch and you said, actually, that's really great. Looking back over them, it's probably a tie. I really enjoyed Memento, which was our very first one. I had no idea really what it was all about, but I actually really enjoyed it. And then Collateral is probably tied up there. So Okay. Okay. <laughs> Two good answers. What about the biggest, like disappointing surprise you know like the, the movie that maybe you actually were looking forward to and then didn't live up to whatever hype i had given it um hard to kind of answer probably spirited away um really only because i think you've talked up them so much and miyazaki movies so much right um the hype the hype machine got away on me a little a bit a little bit so i would be interested and this might be another one, a question of yours I'm going to answer already. I'd be interested to see other ones of his. Well, like, you, but you have so, now, have you? Didn't I've, you go like back a and little watch? bit, like one or two. Okay. Um, But I don't even think they were his. It was his Oh, they're son. just other Ghibli movies? Yeah. So. I'm, I'm going to give you, we're not doing an episode on it and no? anything like that, but I'm going to give you Kiki's Delivery Service because okay. I think that might actually be up your alley. Yeah. So it's probably that one. And I think it's just because... If I knew his style more or how he tells stories more, I think I would have appreciated it more. After our talk and after the podcast, I kind of did a little bit. But going into it or just watching on my own, I feel like a lot of the, the symbolism and the metaphors and all of that kind of just went over my head. So, Okay. Here's a big question. Okay. What's the best movie you've watched for the podcast so far? Like, let's go. Let's go. First time watch because I, okay, I'm sure, I was gonna I'm sure, say. yeah, sure it's gonna be a young Victoria or something <laughs> that you've seen a hundred times. So like, what's the best movie that you had not seen before that you have now seen? I would probably do Memento. Okay, I would probably okay. do Memento. So you really enjoyed Memento. Yeah, I liked the different way the story was told, the forwards and the backwards. Just I'm not a person who likes being dropped into the middle of the story, but I really enjoyed it in that case. So yeah, probably Memento. Okay, what about a what about a runner up? Um, best maybe Hot Fuzz, because as a first time watch, I'm looking back and like a lot of them I had seen kind of before, or even Chicago, maybe Hot Fuzz or Chicago. Okay, okay. So, 
Um, we are Academy Award yes, we are. people. If you so, haven't guessed already. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you for your favorite performance by a female lead and a favorite performance by a male lead. But I, I would like you to give me four and then the winner. Okay. You know what I mean? Like if you're, you're, you're top five, but give me four and then the number one. Okay. I don't know if all of them are classified as the Well, leads, like maybe. just, you just, we'll, we'll okay. do like, you know, female lead. We'll, we'll, we'll bend the rules here, but okay. we're not doing a supporting thing. Okay. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I yeah. was like, I think somebody might be considered a supporting in this. Um, so we'll do female first. Yeah. So let's see. Who's my top one? Yeah. Who, who makes, who makes the nominees and who's your winner? So my nominees would be Uma Thurman, Uma Thurman, Kill Bill. Okay. Uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Chicago. Gwyneth Paltrow, Royal Tenenbaums. Okay. Emily Blunt, Devil Wears Prada. And then Eva Green for Casino Royale. That's your four? That's my five. That's my oh, top. That's oh. my five. My The best person, though, is probably Emily Blunt. Okay. Yeah, okay. Devil Wears Prada. So That's stretching the rules a little bit because she's probably <laughs> the third female lead in that's that why, movie. That's why I was just but like, sure, that's we'll why I was go. like, who? But for me... Every time she came on screen, like you can't not watch her. She, even like, if even when she's on the back of the screen or in the back of the frame, like you always know what she's doing. She so. she'd be my pick <laughs> from that movie in terms of like favorite performance, even though Meryl Streep's very good. Yeah, but yeah, to to, to come into a category <laughs> of female lead and pick the third female lead from the movie. Well, that's why I asked if it was is, true leads because is, I was like, I'm not sure. Yeah. If- this is why it's our it's these are our rules and not you know yeah whatever. Uh, what about what about male leads? What do you got? So my five yeah. would be Daniel Craig, Casino Royale. Okay. Russell Crowe in Gladiator. Guy Pierce in Memento. Matt Damon in Born Identity. Okay. And then my little stretch here is like any of the guys from Ocean Eleven. Okay. Because like so like just the whole cast. Yeah. Because <laughs> like you could pick any one of them. Every time I watch the movie, a different one is kind of my favorite or yeah. top performer. Yeah. Um, my top overall though is probably Matt Damon in Born Identity. Born Identity. He's yeah. your favorite performance. Yeah. That we've okay. Okay. Do you have top male and female? Um. Yeah. Let me like like so for female, I would definitely have. Um, Uma Thurman is definitely in there. I think, uh, Scarlett Johansson from Lost in Translation is in there. I think, um, I'm going to do a combined Emily Blunt, Young okay. Victoria. Just Emily Blunt Devil in general. Prada. Okay. Yeah, I'm just going to, I, she gets in there twice. Um, I'm going to give a nod to Lindsay Lohan and Mean Girls. Really? Uh, yeah. But my, okay. but my winner uh, and it kills me to leave Eva Green off the list, but my winner uh, would be Kira Knightley in Pride and Prejudice. Okay. She yeah. was, I think she was like my sixth. So I was trying to figure out who I was going to bump she, out, but. She's probably my favorite lead female performance of any of the movies we've done. Uma Thurman would be quite close as Kill Bill, um, especially because we did Kill Bill part one. Uh, she'd be quite close, but yeah, I think Kira Knightley, okay. like every time I watch that movie, I'm just like, holy shit, this is so good. Like she is so fantastic in this movie. For male leads, I agree. I th- I think you've definitely got to have Daniel Craig in there for yeah. Casino Royale. I think he is incredible. I would have Tom Cruise from Collateral. I might circle back to that because that might be my winner. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would have uh, I would have Simon Pegg from Hot Fuzz uh, would be three. I would have George Clooney from Oceans. That would be four. And then 
Yeah, I think I'd probably throw it to Guy Pierce from Memento for five, and then my winner would be Cruz from Collateral. Yeah, yeah I think that would be that would be my five. Cruz, like Cruz in Collateral, is probably is one of my favorite performances that we've ever that we've done in a movie so far. Because I think it was just it was just so different from everything he had done, and he's kind of never done it again since. And he was so good that you can sort of always hold it up as like. This is one of his best performances. I will say both him and Jamie Foxx in Collateral were like, once again, kind of tied for my sixth. I was just like, but I couldn't decide who I liked more because I thought they both just did such a good job that they kind of canceled each other out almost. So <laughs> Yeah, like that that was the funny thing with the Jamie Foxx that year was that he was nominated for both. He was nominated as the lead for Ray and a supporting in Collateral and... I always, I, I was like, I get it. You know, Ray is a beloved movie. I always liked him more in, this, in Collateral. Or in Collateral. Yeah. But I think, I think Cruz in Collateral is just like, he's on another planet. Yeah. He is <laughs> something else. Um, last question I've got for you in this little whatever uh, bit before, before Royal Tenenbaums is uh, what is the movie that you are already interested or excited about going back to watch again? Well, so <laughs> again, I, again, we'll 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 narrow this down to movies that you had you've only now seen once. Like okay, because I was gonna say it's kind of a skewed question already. So I had watched Royal Tenenbaums during the week. Was like, oh, we're about to record a podcast. I have no notes and don't remember anything really about this movie. So I already had to go back and rewatch Royal Tenenbaums. But were you excited <laughs> to rewatch it? No. Yes. So <laughs> okay. So what is the movie that you're excited to rewatch? Um. Let's go with maybe hot fuzz okay maybe hot fuzz yeah because once again after we talked and you kind of pointed out things i'm kind of excited to go back and see other things that maybe i had missed or i picked up on i would i love that answer and i'm happy that you're (laughs) excited to go back to watch hot fuzz again i think you should watch some more edgar wright movies especially the other two in the cornetto trilogy because taken as like a whole it will be even more fun to then go back because they do like point at each other and say like, do you remember that call? Like, you remember remember that? That was in that other movie. You know what I mean? Like they do, he does that quite a bit. Like he knows, he knows what he's doing with this sort of trilogy, loose trilogy that he made. So yeah, I would, I would definitely say go back. Well, not go back, but go and watch Shaun of the Dead and then um, at World's End. Okay. And then, you know, maybe cycle through or whatever. Kind of make it more of like a trilogy showing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay. Okay. That's good. That's good. All these answers approved? Sure, sure, sure. Like the bar as co-host? When I was going through some of them, I was like, I was like, I probably will have to stipulate that it needs to be movies that she's only now seen (laughs) once because... Like she probably will just cycle through Young Victoria, Young Victoria, Mean, mean Girls, uh, yeah, in. yeah. Like it'll be the same three <laughs> movies every time. So, do you have one that you're excited to go back and rewatch? Is I, like a first time, or was a first time for yeah, me? Yeah, I would say was because you had a few first time watches. I've had a couple. Right? I've had a couple so far. Not too too many. Now that I'm looking back at our <laughs> list here, actually, like actually maybe maybe like two. Three. <laughs> Two first watches. What were your two? Chicago? No, no. I'd seen Chicago before. Oh, you had? Yeah. Okay. I'd seen Chicago before. It would just been like, I hadn't seen it since like quite literally one the year that it okay. came out. 
So what were your first um, watches? Young Wa- Victoria. Wally and the Young Victoria. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so, so my out question. Of, <laughs> out of those two, I'd be more interested and more excited to go back and rewatch Wally. Okay. Uh, but yeah, like I said on the the movie swap episode, like Young Victoria was very good. I was very surprised Christ. by how much I actually enjoyed it. But um, but yeah, there's something there was something about Wally watching it where I was like, wow, this is this is great, and I can't believe that I waited 15 this, years. Yeah to watch it like that was dumb i should have gone way way earlier but yeah that, that's probably that's probably yeah that's wally 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 yeah <laughs> out of your two <laughs> yeah 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 should we move on we'll move on to yeah. the royal tenenbaums this week and we're doing this episode we're doing a wes anderson centric episode because his new movie asteroid city is coming out at the end of the week um I, we should have checked. Like, is that coming out wide or just in like select theaters? Because you never, you're never quite sure. Sort of with a Wes Anderson movie, sometimes you get lucky and it is select, but you're you're in the city for the select theater. Sometimes you got to wait another couple months. But any which way, Asteroid City is on its way out, and so we decided, well, we need to do a Royal Tenenbaums movie, and it was really sort of something that we had to do because. A couple years ago for the family Christmas movie, I picked The French Dispatch, which is Wes Anderson's most recent movie. Um, and you and your husband, Chris, both came. And as we were walking in, I think I said something about Wes Anderson. And you both said, I've never seen a Wes Anderson movie before. Yeah. To which I then said, oh boy, <laughs> this might be sort of throwing you in the deep end without floaties on. Like yeah. everything I had heard about the French dispatch was like, it's the most Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson movie. And so I was not surprised when we came out of that and you were, both of you were sort of like, what the hell did we yeah, just watch? Yeah. Did not enjoy it. <laughs> Meanwhile, I walked out basically like floating. Cause I was like, that was so fantastic. So I did, Turn around, and I think I gave you all of my Wes Anderson DVDs and Blu-rays and whatever, yes. which is, which is most of them. I think I, I think I have I own most of them at this point. And uh, you proceeded to not watch a single one over the <laughs> lockdown and COVID yeah, and everything. The two yeah. and a half years that yeah. you owned them all, you didn't watch any of them. So no. this was kind of me forcing you to watch at least one more, and you know maybe hoping. That I could get you on the Wes Anderson bandwagon. Yes. So I think I think by this point, by the time we had watched The French Dispatch, I had seen Grand Budapest, which is oh, one okay. of his. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. think. Okay. Um, okay. So you'd seen I didn't, one. I didn't realize it was him. Right. And stuff like that. And I couldn't totally remember all of it. So I think at this point now I've seen three of his. But yes, French Dispatch was like truly the first Wes Anderson for me. So... I don't often do this to you, but I saw your letterboxed review for the Royal Tenenbaums. Yes. And it was basically, (laughs) I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm excited (laughs) for the podcast for Kieran to explain it to me. That was your whole review of the Royal Tenenbaums was Wes Anderson, question mark, I don't get it. And so (laughs) I would just like to know, like, what do you think you're not getting? I don't understand his big appeal. Like, I don't understand... When you see that his new movie is coming out, and I think Asteroid City, we have had on our Oscar pool for a year or two. Yeah, I think it was supposed to be on last year, then it wasn't coming out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, you, 
I think almost were going to pick it every year because you were like, it's a Wes Anderson. It's going to be great. I just don't get it. <laughs> I don't see the appeal. Like, so that's why, like, I'm excited for this podcast because every time we've had a movie where I'm just like, I don't get it. We talk about things, you point out things, and by the end, I do leave it being like, okay, like, now it's making a little more sense. Maybe it's still not my style or my, the thing I'm jumping to go see, but at least I can kind of appreciate it a bit more, so. Okay, well, I think the problem, though, with Wes Anderson (laughs) is that he is ostensibly making, like, quasi-comedies. for Like, at least the Royal Tenenbaums is, like, he's done a few other things here and there. So, like... I think you either find his movies funny, funny or not and, funny and charming or you don't. Okay. So maybe that's where it lies for me. And then. Is, is that what we're getting at? Is that you just don't enjoy the sort of unique charm of a Wes Anderson movie? I think maybe that's it. So if it's supposed to be funny, I might have laughed twice, maybe in Royal, Royal Tenenbaums. So maybe I'm just not getting his particular humor. Yeah, that's going to be hard for me to sort of break down and explain. It's like explaining a joke. Like, you just end up killing it. But, yeah, okay. Like, if you want to get into the reasons why I love Wes yes. Anderson and my the reasons why I find him appealing, I think, you know, not to go on a, on a long digression and, and diatribe here or whatever, but I have this very, very distinct memory of being back in Ireland and you'll know this and anyone who I think has been, you know, over to Ireland or the UK or whatever will know that like they, when they get the like weekly TV guide, you can go through and on a certain, and you can see the days of the week and they just list out everything that's playing on that day. And so what they often do is like, they'll put in the movie that's going to play on a certain night. And they'll bold it. And sometimes you'll get a little description, but sometimes it is just, you know, movie X. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like playing at eight o'clock and that's, that's that. And I have this memory of being over there and I think it being like a kind of quiet Saturday afternoon or something like that. And we weren't really going anywhere and I don't think anyone was coming to the farm to see us. And I was looking at the paper and I saw Rushmore and in my head, I I had this thing of like, oh, that's that movie about whatever. I can't remember what what description you had. What I was thinking, yeah. But in my head, I was like, oh, that's that movie. Okay. I immediately was like, oh, that's that movie, and I'd I'd like to see that. And it was on in the middle of the afternoon or whatever. I then went in and I turned it on, and within five minutes, I was like, oh, that's definitely not the movie I was thinking of. (laughs) Uh, And like to this day, I can't remember the movie I was thinking of. Yeah. But. You know, I sort of said, well, let's let's see this out for a little bit. And so I would say within the opening 10 or 15 minutes, I was like, what is this? Who is this guy? Magical <laughs> thing that I'm watching. Okay. And like the character of Max played by Jason Schwartzman was like so weird and so funny. And Bill Murray's in it. And he was really fucking great. Like he's so deadpan and dry. But I was just like, this is absolutely hilarious and i watched the whole movie and i was like that was incredible i loved every second of it i then we then came home i figured out who made rushmore yeah (laughs) and because i was probably i don't know i was probably 11 or 12 and then realized oh he's made you know a couple other movies at this time i need to go see those right away and then the royal tenenbaums was right up there being like 
this this movie came out, I think, in 01 or 02. Yeah. And, you know, he was nominated for the Oscar for it. And it was kind of a big deal. And it was seen as like, you know, this guy who makes small, tiny, independent movies is now sort of breaking through the mainstream and is going to make, you know, still his own unique style of movie, but for bigger audiences with huge stacked casts. And it was sort of like a watershed moment for him. And I was like, yeah, I need to see this movie right away. And then I just fell in love. Just keep following him now. Just fell in love. Well, like the thing, like the thing about Wes Anderson and like, there's a little bit with Quentin, Quentin Tarantino as well. Um, and maybe even a little bit with like somebody like David Fincher, but like their movies have always been there for me. You know what I mean? And like, I caught them all right as they were like reaching their okay. apex. You know what I mean? Like, like Scorsese and, and Spielberg, you could maybe make the arguments that like their best days came before I came to the movies. Okay. So you know you th- mean? Yeah. So you think you kind of hit these guys where you get to watch like them truly rise. Yeah. 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 So. Like Quentin Tarantino a little bit less because I definitely came to his movies later on than, than others. But like catching Wes Anderson's second movie on television before his third movie came out, once his third and fourth and fifth movies all came out, I have the memory of being like, this is one of my guys. Like I caught him at such an early age. And such an impressionable impressionable moment for myself that like, I'm just, I'm on the wave now and I'm just riding the wave however long he wants to go. And yeah, I think there's something to be said about, you know, you just click with an artist and you're just like, that's my guy now. And, you know, he's made a couple movies that I don't love and, and things like that. But more often than not, I am like completely in love with what he does and i always look forward to what he's doing and like you can then start getting into things like you know i i told you to pay attention to the music in the movie that's why i went back and rewatched it for a second time and so (laughs) i did that because for me wes anderson and a little bit of quentin tarantino and stuff like that were these like gateway filmmakers of being like okay what is this world that they are creating and what are they filling in, in this world that they're making up? What are they taking from our real world, real world to put in there? And one of the big things was music. And so like, this is probably one of the first times when I watched this movie, this was probably one of the first times I ever heard like Simon and Garfunkel or, you know, like there's Rolling Stones in here. The, the kinks show up in a lot of his movies later on. It's like, these were probably some of the first times I ever heard these bands. And now like I'm always listening to them. And like, I can, I can pretty much trace that back to him putting them into a movie during a scene that I was just like, Oh my God, this scene's perfect. Like everything's working. And then like, what is that song? I need to know that song. And every time I listen to it now, I think of that movie. You think of that scene. Yeah. And it's like, he's one of these guys. I just can't separate certain scenes from, from music that I know or, you know, certain actors, like he's one of the reasons why I love Jason Schwartzman is because Jason Schwartzman shows up in all of his movies. I was going to say, he wasn't in this one though, right? I'm looking at my cast. No, no, he wasn't. He wasn't in this one. Um, Like he was still quite young at this time. And so like, this is definitely about an older group of people. And so I don't think he would have fit into this cast, but he, like, he was the lead in Rushmore. He's Max in Rushmore. Um, Oh yes, I can see his face now. And then he shows up in sort of everything else. 
Well, I did notice that between what I kind of remember in Dispatch and this, and like just me kind of looking through other ones of his to kind of get an idea. He does kind of have his people. Like, oh yeah, his. Oh yeah. If you worked with him once and he liked you and you liked him and they clicked and all that, like he just keeps pulling you back. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, so. and like there is a little bit like he, you know, he writes his own movies, and I, I would say that he he does have a style of writing, maybe not to the extent of like Tarantino or Aaron Sorkin or you know somebody like David Mamet or somebody. You know what I mean? Like these these people who are like great great writers, but there is this thing of like you need to understand his rhythms and the people that understand his rhythms, he just keeps bringing them back. Cause it's like, why would you mess around with that? Yeah. Like why if are you going to get, if it's yeah. working, keep it. If it's working, just keep going. And like, I do enjoy that with every movie, he does kind of expand his roster of people. And then they always come back even for like tiny insignificant roles. But yeah, like I, I yeah, again, like I watched Rushmore and Rushmore really didn't have this where like, kind of only three or four characters in that entire movie and then all of a sudden in this one there's like 12 and yeah. the next one there's more and the next one there's more and you know again like catching his stuff early on you then get to see the progression of it all and like that's what i enjoy doing okay the other thing i kind of remembered and is in this one and i think it was in dispatch they both open with like a book yeah he does that a lot I, is that in a yeah, lot of his I have, and like kind of being like here's the character list and like Oh, yeah, that that stuff, yeah, like, okay, so... <laughs> is that, like, a, for is any, that a thing for him? Yeah, like, for anyone okay. who hasn't seen Wes Anderson movies, or not very many of them, he has this, like, incredibly distinct, unique style of making movies, and, like, it's all about symmetry, it's all about shot composition and things like that, and, like, to, to an degree, it's, like, it is unnatural, some of the ways that the characters stand in the frame, because he wants that perfectly lined up shot or whatever. But yeah, what he does instead of just having like normal credits, he'll just show you like flashes of the characters in whatever environment they're supposed to be in. And you know, their names come up and as the casts get bigger, like <laughs> those scenes just go on forever. You just take a lot um, longer. <laughs> yeah. And like, this is probably the first time he did it in um, the, like this, this cast reveal in Rushmore. He has this bit where the character of Max um, he's like a terrible student because he's so preoccupied with like after school clubs being being a part of and and running after school clubs. And so what he does in that movie is that he flashes all of the after school clubs that Max is a part of. And like oh, okay. they're everything from like fencing to calligraphy. And so you get Jason Schwartzman like doing all these doing all things. these <laughs> random bits that you only get to see for like two seconds and then it moves on. And and this is, you know, it's the same with characters. The, the storybook thing, he does do this quite a bit where, like, he has a framing device for the whole story. Yeah. And so this is about uh, – The Royal Tenenbaums is a book. Like, that's that's kind of the idea or the conceit that he is trying to do where it's, like, somebody has written a book about these characters and I'm filming that book. Like, I'm giving you pictures to that book because if you notice when it, says, when it starts the new chapter, you yeah. can see a sentence or two. And, it's, and the first image is always that first sentence yeah. or two. And uh, like, I don't, I enjoyed that because it kind of. It's whimsy, Kate. It's yeah. whimsy. It's fun. Let's have some fun. Let's have some creativity. So as we were about to start recording this, Chris downstairs did say, 
go have some fun on the podcast. And I was like, we're talking about Wes Anderson. I don't know if we can have fun talking about oh Wes Anderson. Oh my God, of so. course you can. <laughs> of course you can have fun. Wes Anderson's all about fun. <laughs> but I will say, like, I did pick up on the book or, like, the chapter three and, like, the one or two lines wasn't just there to be there. It did kind of set you up for, yeah. like, there was one where it's royal and ethylene is i think ethylene yeah ethylene is the wife yeah are walking by a pond and he's got a soft cap on and stuff and like sure enough that like the next seat is they're walking monologue (laughs) so like i was like i enjoyed that because it does kind of help you set up for the next scene i didn't always understand why there were various chapters but if it is just kind of supposed to be following a book yeah story or a book idea yeah it's like one of his things like um I keep coming back to Rushmore because Rushmore is my favorite. I was about to. Movie. I was going to ask you at one point what yeah. was your favorite. Yeah. So. It is. It is my favorite, mostly because of sentimental reasons. Like <laughs> the that, nostalgia. That, yeah, that memory in Ireland is like so vivid in my in my brain that like I don't think anything will ever be able to top it. Now, like it is also a good movie, but like I can also point to the fact like Grand Budapest is probably a better movie. So when did Rushmore come out though? Rushmore was like 98. I oh, okay. Say. So it falls yeah. out of our, yeah. cause I was going to yeah. say, yeah. why wasn't that yeah. no, the fall, given one? <laughs> yeah. The, um, but yeah, like in, in Rushmore, um, Max is a playwright. And so the, the whole thing is that it's, it's the seasons of the year, um, to like transition oh, okay. as the story moves along. But then they're also like on a stage. And so, you know, it'd be spring and then the curtain opens up and then winter and the curtain opens up. You know what I mean? Um, in Grand Budapest, it's a story within a story within a story. And so it's not like an inception thing per se, but the movie, if I can remember this correctly, the movie opens with a young girl reading a book. We then go into that book and that book is written by an author who is interviewing a guy working at this hotel who tells them the story of the hotel. So like we kind of just keep going deeper. And then once we're in, you know, the deepest that, part, we just stay there yeah. until we come out at the end. Um, but yeah, like he, he does this frequently. I think it's just like for him, it, it could be like a way of organizing the story. It could be a way of being like, there are also, like, it does work out because like even in Royal Tenenbaums, like there are distinct, you know, moments of like the opening is quite, frenetic and fun and you know a little but then like as the story moves along like it does get more serious yeah and you know so it is a way of being like here's a clear demarcation point of like we're shifting now we're doing something different than we were the last 15 minutes we're going to do something different these 15 minutes i will say watching it through probably the second time the first time i was really just watching and was like okay let's just watch it let's try and enjoy it knowing that I would probably have to go back and watch it again to actually take notes on the whole movie. Um, I thought it would play really well on a stage. Like it does kind of give me a play. You put everything in the house more yeah. or less. Yeah. Like, like I that, feel like yeah. it could be set if somebody was to turn around and be like, I'm making a play based off of this movie. It could be easily done. Cause like for the most part, they are just in the house. Yep. Yep. For vast majorities of the, the I'd, thing. I'd, so go, like, I'd go see that play. I don't go to see a lot, but I would go see you that. See, you would see that one? Yeah. I'm also going to say on record here, I don't think you and mom asked me if I wanted to go see Spam a lot the other week because... We did? No. So... no. When did you ask? Like three years ago? No, at, just after Christmas. I don't remember this at all because I would go see Spam a lot. Do you so, want to come? Well, not anymore. You guys have already gone. I'm not going to go by myself. Me and Chris are going. <laughs> you can tag along. <laughs> going to be a third wheel on that date. Um, What should we see here? The cast, I think, 
Okay. We need to talk about the cast because... Do you have a favorite? Favorite cast member? Or character? Or character. Like character? I think it shifts. Like every... every yeah? More or less every time I watch it, I do sort of... Because I when I go back to rewatch movies, I do try and focus on other things. Yeah. To sort of see like, okay, how rich is this actually? And so like there have been moments like I absolutely love Ben Stiller as Chaz. Just like an absolute doomsday preparedness person where like he's got his kids in these red jumpsuits and like i do remember being like i would love to get a jumpsuit and like um or tracksuit i should say and like that be like a halloween costume or whatever um on this watch though i absolutely loved uh what's his name not owen wilson luke wilson as richie Richie. tannenbaum as richie tannenbaum um mostly because i think the scene of him having his meltdown during a tennis match is like one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> it was so good. And he takes off his shoes. Yeah, and like, like, and it's mostly the commentators who, like, one of them is Wes Anderson, apparently. Oh, um, being like, you know, that's seventy-two unforced errors for the bomber <laughs> today. Like, something's going on. I don't really know what's happening. And then, like, he appears to have taken off both of his shoes and one sock and like <laughs> just the way that it's all shot and the, the, I just thought it was like oh this is so 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 funny and um yeah I think just watching him as as him and Bill Murray investigate Margot and like her infidelities and then him just like him being in the background and, and sort of being like he knows he can't make too big of a deal about it because Bill Murray is her husband. Yes. <laughs> and like he should be the one who's actually upset. So like he's got this like disappointed, upset rage, but he needs to keep it all bottled in. And like he just lashes out at certain moments where it's just like, that's just funny. Like that's so funny. And so I think him, but also Gene Hackman. Like Gene Hackman is just so funny. He's such a shit. He's such a yeah. shit. But he's so lovable. And I think. You know, with the exception of the whole bit where he's like, I haven't spoken to my family in years and years. That's kind of the vibe I always sort of aim for, where it's sort of that like lovable shit. Yeah. Uh, you do a good job. Yeah, so. like that's kind of that's kind of my wheelhouse. That's kind of what I like to sort of be where it's like, you know, you can't help but love the person, but at the same time you're just like, God damn it. Like yeah. you like to push the buttons. Yes, yes. And so yeah, faking stomach cancer while I eat cheeseburgers it's probably not out of the realm of possibility oh, for God. me so what, what about you though you did say that gwyneth paltrow might be in your in your top five performances so you know she's probably my favorite she's so great in this. i think because for me i would only kind of remember her in roles where she was the bubbly personality yeah. the like yeah. kind of the love interest the love interest yeah. the bigger than life character things like that so for her to play like deeply depressed deeply depressed <laughs> yeah kind of no emotions like over the world kind of super secretive mysterious yeah, yeah. like it's such a great she, role she just did such a good job and i think for me it was also i almost really believed that the young whoever played her as the younger oh, character yeah, yeah it was good like, ca- yeah good casting the good casting yeah. like yeah. i could see them grow into her for me i probably would have switched maybe ben stiller and luke wilson i would have believed ben stiller more as the tennis person oh you think yeah so when okay it took me a little bit the first time to keep reminding myself that 
Ben Stiller was supposed to be like the business guy yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. things like that, I would have believed that more as Luke Wilson, not Ben Stiller. So I, I think there's just something about Luke Wilson, like he's a bit taller. He's maybe a bit more athletic looking. Yeah. That I sort of believe that like, yeah, he probably would have been a tennis star. But I think I think like for Ben Stiller, you know, he does do this quite a bit. I think his his overall sort of reputation is closer to Zoolander type characters. Like he's yeah. kind of, you know, idiot, funny idiot guys. That's kind of but, when I think Ben Stiller, I think Zoolander. Yeah, so. but but like he does do this quite a bit where like he'll throw in a kind of serious role or you know where like yes like Chaz is funny but he's funny in terms of being like so over the top serious yes that, that that's the funny thing you know what I mean like he can't chill out that's the funny bit um like it's not him telling jokes so I think like for him to take that role like that's a good role to take because it is like doing something a little bit different doing something that you know he can have maybe a bit more fun with but yeah, I think I think the uh, the Gwyneth Paltrow as Margot is just like there's just something about her where like she's so off. Yeah, but she also, just looks so uncomfortable. Yeah, in every room, like yeah. around quite literally everybody. Yeah, she always kind of looks. She makes herself look small. Yeah, I think is kind of what I always picked up on. So, but at the same time, it's still Gwyneth Paltrow. Like, yeah, she's like, still a movie star, so you can't. <laughs> not pay attention to her yeah but she's playing it so downbeat that she's sort of like don't look at me yeah like yeah it's yeah i don't know like it's just it's really good and like for him to for wes anderson to get these performances out of these people and like you mentioned like bill murray plays like he's basically a cameo essentially in this movie like he has almost no role but for him to like sort of match the energy that gwyneth is giving off as her character it's sort of like how did these characters like ever have a conversation because well that's what like no they don't interact like thinking about it kind of now who would have been lead in this movie because they're all kind of the lead the lead is gene hackman is gene hackman yeah the lead is definitely gene hackman because he's the he's royal yeah he's, he's royal he's the lead but like you know as wes anderson's style would evolve like this is something that he does more and more often where it's sort of like, yeah, that person is definitely the lead, but like all the other characters get their due. Like, yeah. And that's why he keeps getting these casts of people. Cause it's like, he creates these pretty strange, unique characters that must be really fun to play for these people. Like, you know, Scarlett Johansson has shown up, I think now in a couple Wes Anderson movies, maybe, maybe I'm wrong on that, but like she spent her last decade doing Marvel stuff. Yeah. Where it's like, here, act in front of a green screen. And sort of like, yeah, like how much fun would it be to come to a set that has been like... with other people. Yeah, that's been like designed, like specifically designed for this movie. And is like kind of strange and kind of weird. And here's like 40 people to act with. It's like, that must be such a great time. And so like, you know, there are stories about Gene Hackman not having a very good time on this movie. Yeah, I, I saw those. I didn't do a whole lot of research or... When I was looking up something, I did see that him and Wes Anderson did did not get along. Yeah, and like so. I think that mostly comes down to like Gene Hackman was coming to the end of his career and like he was about to retire and he was quite literally just looking for like fun times. Yeah. And Wes Anderson is still like a newish filmmaker. And like, although 
I will say I find his style fun and lighthearted. The movies are also like quite meticulous and you can see him like taking a lot of time and care to get things perfectly as he wants them. And, you know, if you're only there to have a good time and you've got this super young, inexperienced filmmaker being like, can you stand a quarter of an inch this way? And a qu-, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. can you say the line this way? I can understand how like that would ruffle some feathers. But by all accounts, it sounds like everybody else had a really great time. And, you know, they all show up again in, in his movies. Like they all keep coming back. So, yeah. yeah. The scene, thinking about kind of how meticulous he is. The one scene that keeps kind of jumping into my head is Danny Glover. Oh, um, yeah. He- um, yeah. Henry. Henry. When he has learned that he doesn't have stomach cancer, or Royal doesn't have stomach cancer, and he's like walking up the stairs that could have easily been like a wide shot or something to kind of show it. But no, like he is focused on him yeah. walking up the stairs with the pill bottle in his hand. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I was just like, the first time I watched it, and then when I saw it the second time, I was is, just is, like... Is that a Tic Tac? Yeah, yeah, I was just kind of like, ooh, this is like an uncomfortable like scene because you know shit's about to happen and like shit's about to hit the fan. Anybody else? Any other characters that you sort of jumped out to you? Owen Wilson? Yeah. Owen Wilson, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> and just, like... Just a low-key drug problem for the whole movie? Yeah, and like... When he comes at the end when there's the wedding happening yeah. and he's got his face painted. Yeah. I still don't quite understand well, all on, of that. He's on drugs. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's like, what else is there to understand? It? Okay. He's a drug addict. <laughs> I think we like we should say that, that Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson were college roommates. And that's where they met. Oh, okay. And so Owen Wilson, especially on the, the first few Wes Anderson movies, was a co-writer. And so he co-wrote this movie with Wes Anderson. I did not know um, that. So. And so for him, because at this moment, like Owen Wilson is like just about to explode. Yeah. Maybe he he probably already has kind of at this moment where it's like he becomes a big deal for a few years. And um, for him to take this role where he's just like an absolute loser who like so desperately wants to be part of the Tenenbaum family. But all of them are sort of just like, yeah, you, no, you're, you're not, yeah, you're just like over there. You're not a part you're, of it. You're the friend who you're, lived yeah, across the street. You're like, the friend who lived across the street. And like, you know, there, there's all the stuff about um, he sends Ethelene his news clippings and stuff like that. And because, his grades. And his grades because the kids, like we should say, like the kids are all geniuses. That's why there's a book on them in the first place. They were all geniuses and then they all fall from grace. Yeah. And... Owen Wilson's character is just so desperate to be a part of this genius clan of Tenenbaums that like he's so pathetic but then at the same time like he has one of my favorite lines which is right when we meet him at the beginning and he says everyone knows that Custer died at Little Bighorn what this book presupposes is maybe he didn't and it's <laughs> like your favorite line <laughs> it's one of my favorite lines because every time I'm like I would love to read that book like the alternative history where Custer somehow escapes from Little Bighorn and then like does what? Like like what? <laughs> Just it, lives a life. Yeah, like like I don't know, but it's sort of like that's such a dumb idea for a book, but it's also kind of incredible that yeah. I would love to read it. Okay. But but that's kind of his character in a nutshell where it's just like you're kind of an idiot, but at the same time like he is a 
published author and like yeah and like has seemed to do well yeah like right he's doing all right like there is another this is why i think it's funny i don't know why you don't think it's funny (laughs) but when he meets up with Margot, and they decide to end their affair and then he says something about you only ever liked me once i started to get really good reviews and she immediately is like your reviews aren't that great and then he's oh, like, I, I think I the, missed that line. Then he says, but the sales are. It's like, he obviously sells a lot of books, but his books are probably not very good. Not good. Yeah. So. I thought you were going to say when they first meet up and he's standing in his underwear in her closet. Yeah. <laughs> like. They're about to yeah. have a business meeting. I don't know. Like he does. But this is what I mean. Like he is an idiot. Like he's an absolute idiot. Like when we get the shots in his apartment and he's got that weird art on the walls where it's like guys on motorcycles with masks and you're like what the fuck like who buys this but then you come back to he's a drug addict like, yeah he's just always on drugs <laughs> i have already sort of said that you know wes anderson's movies are you know pretty lighthearted, pretty co- comedic but then there's always a shift where it's like okay now it's now it's dark and so in this movie when richie's suicide attempt happens oh yes how did you sort of like, were you sort of like, oh, like, were you shocked by it? Were you, how did you feel? A little bit, only because, so like the scene, he goes in, he starts to cut off his hair and shave yeah. and stuff like that. And then he kind of looks into the camera or looks into the mirror and is like, I'm going to commit suicide tomorrow or yeah. something along that line. And then all of a sudden they pan down to his hands and the blood's there. And I was like, yeah. oh, okay, not tomorrow. Like <laughs> it's It's one of the like, I don't even know like how to describe it but like for a director who has such a distinct visual style it's one of the most distinct visual moments in like any of his movies where they you know he picks up the razor and then it does like really quick flashes of like different images from the movie and then yeah he looks down at his arms and all of a sudden like there's nothing there and then within a second just like blood starts streaming down and you're like holy fuck okay like yeah and so then i kind of was like oh maybe this is him thinking about it imagining it like kind of doing the planning for it for tomorrow and then it's um that kid comes in dudley yeah yeah uh comes in and sees him lying on the ground eddie's like has half of his beard shaved yeah shaving cream everywhere and the blood everywhere i was just like oh okay (laughs) yeah yeah and then once again it's very quick to him being on the gurney in the hospital hospital and things like that so yeah i wasn't i definitely wasn't expecting it even though he had said the line I thought, okay, well, he said tomorrow something's going to happen right. that will prevent right. him from from doing it. From doing it, because yeah. I wasn't expecting the turn in the movie. So the the other big, you know, moment that people sometimes bump on is the like potential incest plot line yeah, between so, him and Margot. So Margot, as they repeatedly say, yeah. is adopted. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's- Fucking Gene Hackman, man. I love his character. He's like, you know. This is my adopted daughter. This is my adopted daughter. Like, you know, we're going to grandma's, but she's not really your grandma. Yeah. Like, yeah. She never got invited because they. I love. I didn't think you'd be interested. She wasn't your grandma. I love it. I think it's so great. Are Chaz and Richie, though, like they are brothers? Yes. Okay. So they are biological brothers. And then Margaret was adopted. Adopted. Yeah. (laughs) So. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I, I never sort of. It never bothered me, um, especially now post Game of Thrones. That's what I was just thinking. Never doesn't bother me at all. But some people have like hyper fixated on the fact that these two 
are in love with each other and like they are kind of brother and sister and it's sort of like well I don't like get over it that's like 30 seconds of the movie is focused on that but yeah Yeah. I think for me I didn't it didn't phase me watching it and then even at the end when they do kind of kiss and they do declare their love they then very quickly are like but we are siblings so we can't do this we can't do it yeah so then I was just like oh they know that they're not going to do it they're not even going to allude that yeah. maybe it'll be something in the future. Like, they're both just like, no, we're siblings. So, didn't phase me. The, the other Richie thing that I love, going just going back to the, the suicide attempt, was when he regains consciousness. And then they're asking him, and they're like, he says something about, yeah, I wrote a suicide note. And they're like, can you read it to us? He's no. Can you paraphrase it? No, I don't think so. And he, I wrote it when I regained consciousness. Yeah. <laughs> How do you write a suicide note? <laughs> After you regain consciousness from attempting suicide. Yeah. I just think, like, there's some of those lines. I don't, like, oh, I don't know how you didn't find it funny. I find it so <laughs> hilarious. What Sam is, there's something, I think it's just, like, the dry sense of humor. Where it's sort of, like, that's not really a joke, but it is a joke. I think maybe that's where it doesn't appeal to me. Like, I wouldn't have found this a comedy. I will say, between this and French Dispatch, I enjoyed this one more. Yeah, well, like, French French Dispatch, I, I enjoyed it. I think it suffers from, and, like, this is just, like, a natural thing that happens. But, like, when you have a movie that is sort of three short movies, yeah. you are naturally going to sort of compare them to each other. And so you're going to have a favorite and you're going to have a least favorite. But they're going to be the same length. And so when you look back, you're going to say to yourself, well, I really love these 20 minutes. Didn't really love those 20 minutes. And then sort of just like evens out. Yeah. And so, I think I think that's where it was with the French Dispatch. I don't even remember what the three shorts were. Oh, you need to rewatch the movie then. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, but I definitely remember walking out and kind of being like, what the hell was that? And then you, we were all talking and I was like, well, I actually enjoyed this storyline. This line. part, yeah. So. Yeah. Any last things you want to say about Royal Tenenbaums or Wes Anderson or... So when you watched it for the first time, because you wanted me to pick up on the music, I will say I only recognized one song in the entire movie, uh, which was the Hey Hey Jude song by the Beatles. Did you notice and recognize all of the songs? Or is it truly like you listen and you're like, ooh, I like this song. Who does it? Yeah, that's more of what it is. Okay. Like, yeah, when I was younger, it was more like, wait, what the hell was that song? And like... And now I can't not hear it okay. with, with that image. So like, you know, it probably going, you know, I, I did sort of write some of them down this time, but like, it definitely would have been the first time I'd ever heard of Nick Drake. Definitely would have been the first time I'd ever heard of Elliot Smith. Probably would have been the first time I'd ever heard the Velvet Underground or Nico. I might have known who Van Morrison was because he's Irish, but um, his song everyone who play that plays at the end of the movie when they're leaving the cemetery um like that's just like burned into my memory now of like that song that scene you know the image of them in slow motion leaving royals grave grave yeah is just like it's in there and it's like never leaving so every time i ever hear that song that's what's flashing in my memory you know what i mean so like i think like just for for him like he's not necessarily going like deep 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 cuts 
But as a 13, 14 year old who, you know, we didn't grow up in the most musical household in no. the world. Um, like I'd never heard of these bands or these people before. And so it was through his movies and, you know, through other filmmakers movies where it's like, like my taste in music was, was formed. Was influenced by yeah, these guys? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Do you have any final things? I think this was pretty good. I didn't say I hated it. So. No, you just said you didn't get it which I is get kind it. of worse like if but i will say after this talk it makes more sense and i think starting with french dispatch was just yeah it was too much was, was too, too, much. too much so like yeah that was too much <laughs> rushmore might be a bit more sort of your speed as like an entryway you also i have the fox one yeah so i was gonna ask like if you're interested and whatever to do another Wes Anderson sometime down the future. Like he has now started to make stop motion animated movies. Uh, he's made two now. And I think he's in the process of making or finishing his third. And so, yeah, the fantastic Mr. Fox is in this decade and could potentially work as, as a potential episode. But like, if you're, really having a hard time with Wes Anderson. Like think about what he's able to do with live action. And then, you know, now he's doing it with animation that, you know, he controls completely everything. Maybe, maybe I'll watch it first and then we can decide if it's okay. worth an episode. Worth an episode. Yeah. I think I read somewhere that like, so he's got Asteroid City coming out very soon. I think I read somewhere that he is really trying to get this second movie out by the end of the year. And so, like, oh. to potentially get two Wes Anderson movies in the same year would be great. But we'll see. We'll yeah. see. Yeah. So, not your favorite movie, but certainly maybe one that, you know, you've watched it now twice in a week. That's yeah, that's pretty it's good. The only one I've done for the podcast. That's pretty so. good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, should we tease next week's episode? Yeah, this is one. Kieran's in for a rough go, I think, the next two weeks, everybody. So. <laughs> next, I'm, like, so not looking forward to watching... <laughs> Not even, the talking about the movie will be like fine because I'll be able to like voice frustration. The watching the movie is going to be painful because I know it's going to be two hours by myself where it's like I could think of a million better things to do. You can come here and watch it with us one night if you want. This but at least be, then you could at least voice your frustration during the movie. I can't, I can't give it away. You got to save it for the pod. Or do we just record your frustration? Oh my god! As just we a, watch a live watch along, like. <laughs> So yeah, what do we? What's your tease besides me hating this movie? <laughs> um, we've got werewolves and vampires. That should be enough. I think we'll just leave and it there. A- apples and shiny skin. <laughs> like, there you go. That's yeah, there. There we go. Pretty blatant. What's coming down next week? So yeah, yeah. Tune in. We'll see everybody then. See you then. <laughs>